When I think about the Apostle Paul, and I've been doing a lot of that for several months now. We, uh, this is Sermon 37 in this series. And by the way, uh, next Sunday we will complete Romans. And as has been my custom for many, many years, we will go to the Old Testament for the summer months. And more than one person mentioned the book of Daniel. So we're going to go to the book of Daniel uh, starting the first Sunday of June. But anyway, I've been spending a lot of time uh, over the last several months. And uh, I realized that Paul was not only a missionary in terms of his activity, but he was also a missionary at heart. In the very first chapter, verse 14, he said, I am under obligation both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. He was at Corinth at the time. Now, as I think about that, I thought, I just wonder how many people are aware of Paul's missionary activities. And so I found a map and uh, I don't know if you can see it from where you're at in terms of the lines and the colors, but the red line represents his first missionary journey. And then the blue line represents his second missionary journey. And the third, the purple line, represents his third and final missionary journey. And almost all Pauline New Testament scholars agree that he traveled over 10,000 miles during his 30 years of ministry. And much of that was by foot. And though Paul was an apostle to the Gentiles, he's always been known as a missionary. In fact, he was also a church planner. He was also a teacher. But in all that he did, he was a mission-minded servant. So let me ask you this morning, how are you known? How do people know you? There are a lot of pieces to the puzzle that make up who we are and even our reputation. How intelligent, how industrious, how giving, how honest. And when all of these come together into one picture, the question comes up again. How are we known? Abraham Lincoln once said, Character is like a tree and reputation like a shadow. The shadow is what we think of it. The tree is the real thing. Unfortunately, We are, in fact, known 
by the shadow that we leave. That's probably why the great basketball coach John Wooden, who spent his career out at UCLA, he gave a thoughtful reminder. He said, even though you're known more by your shadow, your reputation, he said, be more concerned with your character than your reputation because your character is what you really are while your reputation is merely what others think of you. And his rejoinder to that was, and you can't control that anyway. No matter how hard you try, somebody is going to think of you wrongly. They're going to come up in their own mind with what your real motivation is. And they don't know. So I ask you again, how are you known? I'm going to come back and read from the Bible, Norma. But I wanted this first section to be up here for us all to see it. Paul's concern, he gives right at the beginning of our text for today. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. But on some points... Aren't you sometimes expecting that line to come up when somebody's heaping all kinds of praise and, and you know, just really speaking highly of you and, oh, this, 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 and then all of a sudden you know it's coming. But, but, I mean, he begins by expressing his confidence in the Roman readers. I myself, it's emphatic, am satisfied with you. But there were some outlying issues. And he knows that they, he says, you yourself, in fact, again emphatic, you're full of goodness. You're filled with all knowledge and competent to instruct one another. Now, I believe Paul was engaging in a little bit of harmless hyperbole. I don't think there was anybody there that had all of the knowledge. But it would be unfair to accuse him of being being insincere. He's simply assuring them that he knows and appreciates their qualities, their kindness, their extensive Christian knowledge, their proven ability to teach and admonish one another. If then, if then they are gifted Christians... Why has Paul thought it necessary to write them as he's done? And he he gives two reasons. First, he says, I've written to you quite boldly on some points. And then let me continue where our slide left off. By way of reminder, because of the grace given to me by God, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. By way of reminder. That's his first thing. And I I can't stress enough the importance of reminding. 2 Peter 
chapter 1, verses 12 to 13. Again, Peter will say the importance of reminding you of what you already know. It comes up in 1 John 2, again in 2 Timothy 2. He wants to make sure that they understand that a part of his ministry is a reminding ministry. Parents, we understand that. Sometimes we just have to say, uh, young man, let me remind you. I remember the one that hurt the most. Had nothing to do with corporal punishment. My dad simply said, after I had been involved in some things that I absolutely should not have been involved with, my, my dad simply said, can I remind you that when you go out and do those things, you're wearing the name Latimer wherever you go? Sometimes I just wish I had a little sign that said, I am a Christian. And when I see people who claim to be Christians not behaving as Christians, I could just take that sign and hand it to them and say, let me remind you that since you say it, maybe you need to wear it and let people see it. The second reason that he gives is it has to do with his unique ministry to the, to the Gentiles. He's already referred to it three times in uh, Verse 5 of chapter 1, verse 13 of chapter 11, chapter 12, as he begins, therefore, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. He says, I have written, he goes on, because of the grace God gave to me to be a minister to the Gentiles. Uh, he wasn't the founder of the church in Rome, but he nevertheless had some authority to teach them as the members on account of that special vocation. And now for the next 17 verses, he's going to elaborate on just what is the nature of the ministry. Drawing his readers' attention to the fact that they, and therefore you and I, we, we share in this ministry as well. So the question that we're going to look at today is, what does living as servants really mean? And let me say first of all that living as servants means that we are living as one who ministers. Paul calls himself a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles with the duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become acceptable to God and sanctified. Let me read those two verses. Verses 16 and 17. To be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. Now, the word Paul uses for servant, it's actually the word for a public servant. 
The same word used back in chapter 13 when he's talking about government and the duties of government and our responsibilities to government. And yet in the New Testament, that word is also applied to the Jewish priesthood and to Jesus Himself in Hebrews as the great high priest. So what is Paul's priestly ministry that you and I share in and what sacrifice does he have to offer? Well, I think the answer clearly has to do with taking the gospel to the Gentiles. Paul regards his ministry as missionary work. And he regards it as a priestly ministry because he's able to assist people in living as a sacrifice to God. Chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Now I hope you understand that if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are a part of the royal priesthood. It's what we refer to as the ministry of all believers. Uh, Pat, this is nothing personal. Uh, it, it goes long before you. I have always struggled with the titles given to the person who is a lead minister in a congregation, whether it's pastor or reverend. Because scripturally speaking, every one of us is a minister. And so every one of us should be a shepherd, which is the word pastor. Go and read 1 Peter chapter 2. He says we're being built up into a spiritual house to a holy priesthood, verse 5. And then he continues in verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. I actually like the King James. This is where in the King James it says you're a peculiar people. that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. I can't tell you how many times that I'll be talking to people, conversation will be going on for a while, and then all of a sudden they'll find out that I'm a minister. And when they find out that I'm a minister, they'll say, Oh, sorry about the language that I used. Now, I don't go into our theological belief that in the Christian churches we are all ministers, and I don't even go there. I just simply go to the fact that I always tell them, you know, I retired from the police department in Louisville, Kentucky, so I've heard a whole lot worse. But there's nothing special about me. And I say that in more ways than one. The only thing I am doing that you shouldn't be doing, or not that you shouldn't be doing, that you aren't expected to do, is that I do this full time. This is my vocation. This is what I also get paid for. But everything that I do is expected of you as well as members of the congregation. 
I heard somebody say one time, you know, the Sunday school program in the church has to be the biggest failure that exists. And somebody said, why would you say that? And he said, because very few graduate and go on to teaching. They spend all those years in Sunday school and never become teachers themselves. We're all called to minister using the gifts that God has given us. And we're all gifted in different ways. It's when we worship God, glorifying in His holy name, that we are driven out to proclaim His name to the world. That's why I always like the signs that said, enter to worship, and then as you're going out over the door, it says, depart to serve. Have you ever been in a church that had those over the door? I like those. Because this isn't what it's all about. That's what it's all about. Reaching the unlost world around us. Therefore, worship should lead to witness. And witness should lead to worship. It's a perpetual cycle. After you witness to somebody and you can see re, re, kind of a, a look of reception, that's the time to pause just like, just like Paul does here in verse 17 and said, Therefore I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. Something good has happened. I worship over that. Second, he says living as servants means living as a powerful witness. Now, Paul's giving us a very valuable statement here in terms of his own ministry. Again, verses 18 and the first part of 19. For I'll not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Holy Spirit of God. That word power, by the way, is the Greek word dynamis. Do you hear something that sounds familiar that we think of in terms of being very powerful when you hear that word? Yeah, that's where the word dynamite comes from. And I'm not talking about, what was his name, Jimmy? Dynamite! The repetition of that word gives us the right to call it a powerful ministry. And he alludes to it in at least to at least five different features of it. He describes this ministry as being to the Gentiles to lead the Gentiles to obey. Notice his emphasis on obedience. We have been far too influenced by those segments of Christianity that say, while you're saved by grace, it has nothing to do with what you do. We cannot earn our salvation. I will agree with that 100%. We can never do enough to earn our salvation. But don't think for a minute that you don't have to do anything as a Christian because the Bible is full of passages that talk about our obedience, obedience to the faith. Paul refuses to recount his own exploits uh, because he says it's not about him. 
Paul's not even that comfortable with thinking of himself as Christ's partner. He prefers Christ's agent or Christ's instrument or uh, we are Christ's ambassadors. If you're watching a program on TV that claims to be a religious program and the people, the person who is speaking and leading refers to themselves and what they're doing and what they're accomplishing more times than they refer to the Lord, you need to find something else to watch. And I'm not going to name names. I'm just going to describe that so prevalent idea of bringing all of the glory to us and what we're doing. Thirdly, he says that a part of it is what Christ has accomplished that has been seen by word and deed. And that combination of words and works, the verbal and the visual, that's a recognition that human beings learn more through their eyes than through their ears. One of my assignments this week was to watch a video, which, Cindy, I want to give you a copy of it. Uh, it's a, a video called Rob the Knee. Rob the Knee. Two minutes and 39 seconds long. And it is a visual animated presentation of the parable of the publican, the tax collector, and the Pharisee. And there's not a word spoken. Two minutes and 38 seconds of nothing said. And I gained more watching that two minutes and 39 seconds than I have listening to a lot of people's messages and proclamations using that as their text. Words explain works. But works dramatize the words. And the public ministry of Jesus is probably the best example of that. After His ascension into heaven, He continued, Luke says in Acts, to do and to teach through His apostles. It would be wrong to conclude, however, that works means only miracles. One of Jesus' most powerful visual aids was when He took a child into His arms one time and said to the people, you treat these kids. He didn't say this. He just did it by his actions. You treat these kids like they're simply property. Disposable property at that even. And he said, but guess what? You can't enter the kingdom of God unless you become like one of these children. He wasn't telling us to be childish. But he was calling us to be childlike. Paul goes on to say that his ministry was involved with signs and miracles. And, and uh, you know, 
I, I don't think that the majority of the signs and miracles that the apostles done are done today or replicated today in individuals. I do believe that God heals. I don't believe that He heals by a person calling somebody down to the front, putting their hand on them and having them shake and fall on the floor or whatever else gets done. But there are a lot of powerful things that we can do as signs. There are a lot of things that we can do. Hey, three days, people bringing in, donating, hopefully people helping take out, three days, and a minimum right now of $1,200 going to mission work. Two noble causes. Small congregation. I would call that a wonder, wouldn't you? I mean, we've got 3, 6, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, K, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 here today, 19. A, a church that has... 190 this morning would have to give 12,000. A church that has 1,900 would have to give 120,000. Are you hearing me? Sometimes we forget because of smallness how important it is. But he also said fifthly that it's through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit in our day works through His Word and through the witness of our lives. Finally, living as servants means living as pioneers. Now I'm not going to read verse 19, the second half of that, all the way to the verse 33. I started with a map of Paul's missionary journeys. I started with a map of Paul's missionary journeys. So Paul continues by recounting some of that. He said he's gone from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum. He uses a word that means a circular path. And you saw on the map the circularity of his travels on all three trips. I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ, he says. It's basically his modest and succinct summary of 30 years of strenuous apostolic labor. And having plotted verbally on the map the sweeping arc that represented his missionary outreach, he goes on to explain the consistent pioneer policy which laid behind it. He says, it has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known. So that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Now, let me be honest with you for a minute. Not that I was lying before. I don't know why those phrases come up. But... I've only been here... I'm in my starting my seventh year as June begins. Completed six. 
There are some people that I am cordial with and I talk with whenever I have an opportunity. But there are people in this community that I do not go back to and knock on their door unless I hear that a problem has come up. Because the only thing that I have done for six years is help them make liars out of themselves. Oh, we know we need to be coming there and, and we'll be back soon. And, and they still haven't been back. And so I take the admonition of Jesus seriously. You go to, to someone's house, they don't receive what you're sharing. What's Jesus say? Shake the dust off your feet and move on. I don't know what the census count of this town is. Any idea, anybody? 900 and some. 900 and some? I can tell you this. The majority of that 900 and some are not worshiping anywhere this morning, even though we are in the Bible Belt. There are people that live across the street from us, down the road from us, next door to us, in our families. That unless they change their relationship with God in terms of worship and service, from the, what the Bible says, I don't see how they're going to even be a part of eternity and an eternal reward. I have a hard time keeping a straight face sometimes when I hear people say in reference to a relative that's passed on that had nothing to do with Christianity, God or the church, and they'll say, well, you know, he's in heaven, rejoin. We're talking about the same person? I'm sorry, but a lot of those people that we want to claim are in heaven from what the Bible says aren't there. The Bible does not teach universal salvation. Jesus said, broad is the way that leads to destruction and narrow is the way that leads to eternal life. So Paul says, I even want to go on when I get to Rome. I don't want to settle down. I want to go from there and go on to Spain. Moving. Moving. What was that? Vern on the old fast food restaurants. Moving, moving, moving. Had to get his coffee and be moving, moving, moving. So, so here's my question. How's God calling you to be a pioneer? Now, He's probably not calling many of us to travel anywhere extensively although I'm looking forward to that <coughs> he doesn't have to be calling you to go anywhere outside of Newton County do you understand that he doesn't have to be calling you to go anywhere outside of Brook but he's calling you to move 
to move. Not to sit still, placidly believing that we've done our duty uh, and now it's time for someone else to do it. Paul says, I've done a lot, but time to move on towards Spain. You see, he's calling you to grow. I have plants back in my office, which any of you that have come back there probably quickly notice. That wandering Jew that is now hanging halfway down my bookshelf was a little one that was struggling when it was at home with Jesse. There's another little tree over on the table that's full of green leaves that was not doing so well when it was home with Autumn. They blame it on the fact that I've got a lot of light in my office. I think it's because I give my plants tender love and care. <laughs> Every Monday I walk in and I actually do. I say, all right, time for your all drink. And I go get the teapot and I go around watering all of my plants and the ones that need... Like this morning when I came in, this one out here on the table, if you see that all the leaves are looking at the wall, that's because that's how I turned it. Because they, they need to work to grow and turn back toward the light. Uh, so right now you're looking at the backside, but within a week or so, it'll work to, to turn around. Because if we're not growing, we're dying. We're dying. How old are you, James? You got a little bit still to go. But you're not far away because they say there's a date right there in the 30s somewhere that your body starts having more cells die than what you recreate new. Our, our nurse might be able to be more accurate in terms of when that happens, but I, I know that that's about where they say. But do we also want to be dying spiritually? I've heard the blessings of some of the congregation who has now said, you know what, I took you up on that and I'm reading my Bible. And new things that, that they're seeing and hearing. If you are satisfied with where you're at, you are dying. So here's my challenge. I think it's time for us to see that all of life has an opportunity to glorify God through our service. That includes my wife and daughter going over each summer to stink like fish for two days. But they go over there and they bred the fish and they held doing a service. Remember I told you that word Paul used is actually a word that means public service. It means getting our hands dirty. It means setting an example. To realize that all of life is an opportunity to glorify God through our service and to be as passionate for the work of the kingdom as we are for lesser things.
Have you ever been to a ball game where everybody is sitting as high up and as far away from the field as they can be? And yet you go to church, in a lot of churches, we're kind of spread out. You go to a lot of churches and the, the back's almost full before the middle, middle and of course the front is the last church, if you You go to a ball game, now come on, sports fans, I don't expect anybody else. Do you get upset when it's going into overtime or an extra inning, or do you get a little excited? As long as your team's going to win, you get excited more. The only place that I've ever been where people consistently look at their watch is in church. <laughs> it's time for us to be as passionate about God's kingdom as we are about lesser things. Let's pray. Father God, help us to begin to understand from the example of Paul that being a Christian means being a servant. Help us to catch that vision of just where you want us to reach out, even possibly pioneering in new areas that have not been done here or locally at all. We pray this in Jesus' name.